I don't know how many of you are fans of Christian TV, but I am. Uh, specifically, I'm a fan of watching television preachers. It's kind of a macabre fascination for me, actually. Um, it's something along the order of watching a train wreck or a multiple vehicle car accident. Um, it, I don't know. I'm mesmerized. I'm mesmerized by a couple of things. First of all, that when I see the person on television, I'm thinking, I'm probably spending eternity with that person. That, that's the first realization that hits me. And I can't imagine that. And then um, also... I wonder, like, who is buying this shallow fluff that is being doled out on the television? And that worries me, because if they're buying it, what's that going to do to their view of God, their view of the church, their view of what life with Jesus is? And, uh, and then I worry about the people who are watching who are totally rejecting it for the circus that it is, the sideshow, freak show that it is. And I'm wondering, are those people going to totally reject Jesus now? Are they going to reject the rest of the church because of this person's portrayal of what it means to be a leader in God's church? And so today, what I thought we would do since we're on a summer of what I would call rants and redemption, I would actually go to one of the Apostle Paul's rants and talk about that. Now, I'm taking a break from my rants on marriage, young marriage. I will come back to that, I promise you. I needed, <laughs> I needed a break. Probably you did too. Uh, but I will come back to that, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a true Christian leader today. Uh, via the rant, or a rant, not on the only one by any stretch, of the Apostle Paul. Now, one thing you got to know about this passage before we get to it is that it's totally snarky, sarcastic. And you're going, really? The Word of God is sarcastic, Mike? Is that, is that okay? I have a friend, uh, Susan Isaacs, who wrote a book that I love called Angry Conversations with God. If you don't have it, I suggest you get it. But actually, I suggest you listen to the audio book because she is a comedian trained in the groundlings. You've seen her on all sorts of television sitcoms. She is an actress par excellence. And when she reads her own stuff, it's like a whole other art form. And... In this book, what happens, the way it starts off is she's having a difficult time with her faith and with the Lord. I know none of you can relate. And a friend of hers says, well, you know, your relationship with Jesus, with the Lord, is like a marriage. You know, like he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. At which point she says, well, if, if God and I are married, then we need marriage counseling. And so... The setting in the book is she takes God to marriage counseling. And the, the counselor is kind of one of those ex-fallen kind of pastor guys. You know, <laughs> that's what they do when they get out of pastoring. They go into counseling, get paid a whole lot more for a whole lot less time and have no homework. It really ticks me off. Anyway, so they're talking back and forth. And at one point, God says something very sarcastic. And Susan takes issue with God being so snarky with her. And then God says, well, you know, Susan, sarcasm is a viable form of communication. And they get into this whole thing, and, and all I'm saying is, from Elijah and the prophets of Baal, or Baal, however you want to pronounce it, to the apostle Paul, in between, before and after, you will find... Sarcasm as a teaching tool in the Bible. And this passage is sarcastic. Now, the wonderful news is, is that it happens to be the passage from where scum of the earth gets its name. Doesn't that just fit? That one of the most sarcastic pieces of writing the Apostle Paul ever penned, or quilled, <laughs> would be the passage from which scum of the earth gets its name.
And so we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 4. I'm going to stop along the way as we go. All right? Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, meaning us apostles. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries of God. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now, what does this tell us? This is like the first verse, and I'm stopping. This is really, really important. It brings up the very first point. What does a true Christian leader look like? Does he or she look like what you see on Christian television? Okay? A true Christian leader, a true leader in the church, is someone who is trusted by God. Someone to whom God has entrusted his mysteries that are revealed in Christ. If you know what a steward is, a steward is, is somebody who has been given charge of someone else's possessions and has to take care of them. It's kind of like if God had a house and he wanted you to house it for him. You see what I'm saying? That's what it means to be entrusted. He's given you things to take care of. In this case, it's his very word. It's the mysteries that are wrapped up in Christ and what he's doing in this new covenant, in his relationship with the human race. And so a true leader is somebody who has been entrusted with this, and that person has got to understand that he or she is not handling his own wealth or his own information or his own mysteries, but he is handling the stuff that belongs to God. It's kind of like when you dedicate your baby. When you dedicate your baby, the baby is yours. It's got your DNA, right? lives in your house. You've got to change the diapers. You've got to take care of it. But when we dedicate a baby, we say, Lord, we recognize you as the one who has given us this child, and we are giving him or her back to you because we recognize that you are the master and you are the Lord. You become stewards of what's been entrusted to you, which is this little life. It's a huge responsibility because the kid's not yours. In heaven... That kid will be your peer, not your child. The saying goes that God has no grandchildren, only children. That child will have to come to his or her own place with the Lord. And you are entrusted with raising that child in the fear and the admonition and the reverence and the love of the Lord because it's not yours. Scum of the earth is not my church. If you ever hear me say scum of the earth is my church, stop me. I've made it a point for 12 years never to say that. Scum of the earth is a church that belongs to the Lord, and I have been entrusted with its care. I mean, I am not whom you would expect to be the pastor of a church like scum. As I've said before, I have no tattoos, I have no piercings, my hair is normally the color that God made it. <laughs> Although my wife does say I've gotten a lot more grace since scum of the earth came along, so maybe you're responsible. But anyway, it's easy for me not to think of scum of the earth as mine. I mean, it wouldn't have happened without you guys, without a bunch of young 20-somethings from the uh, Five Iron Frenzy Bible study. It just wouldn't have happened, right? And, uh, and that helps me to realize that it's not mine. It's, it's a God thing. I mean, what, what other 58-year-old pastor actually has people 30 years younger than him listening to what he has to say? Most of them are trying to get away from people my age. So I appreciate that scum is something that I've been entrusted with. 
And honestly, I mean, you don't get to pick what God has entrusted you with. It's the master's business to tell you what part in his plan you're going to play. You know, at SCUM, if we're going after anybody, we're not going after people who appear they can tithe 10% of their gross income. We're not. (laughs) We're going after... Honestly, people who probably can't do that. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but but Scum of the Earth has never really supported its staff people. I, After several years, the council made me take a piece of my income from the general offering, but the general offering doesn't go to salaries by and large. It goes to the running of the church. And the staff has to raise their support from outside of SCUM like missionaries raise their support. And our job is to prepare the saints for works of service. So the hope is is that when you come to SCUM and you are either a baby Christian or not a Christian, you come to know the Lord, you come to grow in the Lord, you know, that you go to the theology classes or the spiritual disciplines classes, you become a member of a small group, you go to a Bible study, you become a part of an accountability group with one or two other people, and your life begins looking more and more like Christ's life the longer you're here, so that when you leave, if God ever calls you to leave, you're better off when you left than when you came. That's our goal. That's what we've been entrusted with, is people's lives for a period of time so that when they leave here, they are closer to Christ and more like Christ. They can smell heresy a mile away. And they can run from it. That they they know how to feed themselves with the Word of God and how to reach out to others and serve Christ through serving others. That's the goal. We've been entrusted with your lives, with your souls, with your intellects for a given time. It's not something that I take lightly at all. That's why scum exists. Now, it doesn't matter if you're on staff of a church or not. God, if you're a leader, has entrusted you with some of his precious possessions. I mean, it's obvious if you're a parent, right? We already talked about that. He's already entrusted you with at least one life, if not more. And you should take that seriously. But it doesn't stop there. Maybe you're just an old, maybe you have no children. Maybe you have a spouse. God has entrusted you with the life and the health and the emotional well being of that spouse. It doesn't matter if you're a wife or a husband, you're to care for one another. That is an entrustment to you. God is trusting you with one of his little tiny lamps. You should take that seriously. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you're just a sibling. Sometimes the older siblings are looked up to by the younger siblings. I was talking to one girl today who said, basically, my older siblings come and talk to me. They're asking my advice about stuff. In which case, God has given you the lives of your siblings to somehow take care of. That you are handling not what is yours, but God's. They are watching you. They are watching your successes. They are watching your failures. And that is something God has given to you. Take it seriously. Your job is to be an encouragement, a help, a blessing to them. Because they're not yours. Because they're God's. I don't care if you teach Sunday school. I don't care if you bring a grilled cheese sandwich and a cup of tomato soup to a homeless person who's sitting out here. God has given you a responsibility to care for that person, entrusted you with the life of one of his own, for even a few moments. That's what it means to be a true leader in God's church, is to realize that you're being trusted with some of God's most prized and precious possessions, his people. 
Let's go on. Verse 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I carry very little, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Point number two. True leaders in the church are held accountable to God. True leaders in the church are held accountable to God. They will be judged by Jesus when he returns. We don't like to talk about judgment very much as a culture. Nobody likes it. We'd rather talk about mercy. But the truth is that Jesus is coming back as a judge. You read your scripture. There's things that have been entrusted, and then there's going to be a review at the end of how you've done with the things that were entrusted to you. Here is the kind of the worst good news you'll ever hear, all right? Is that what is hidden in darkness will be judged. In other words, the acts and the motives that are concealed in the inner recesses of a person's mind and heart are going to be judged as well as everything else. Paul says the Lord will expose the motives of people's hearts. Thus, at the second coming of Christ, those who have been faithful in their work will receive praise, and those who have not will not receive praise. I mean, if you're in any kind of position of responsibility, like I said, this has got to make you a little bit afraid. Now, the background for this is that, that Paul was being judged by the Corinthian church. They were judging him. Unfortunately, for some reason, the Corinthians didn't think of the Apostle Paul as one of the quote-unquote super apostles. He wasn't one of the cool kids who was out there spreading the news about Jesus Christ. I mean, right now, we think he's you know, right up there, you know, St. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. We got him like high on a pedestal. But back then, not so much. My personal opinion is that there was probably something weird about Paul, that, you know, pesky thorn in the flesh thing that he kind of hints at. I don't know what that means. You know, he, he, he <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think he could speak very well. According to his own words, he wasn't really great at public oratory. And, and so he didn't inspire confidence that way. I mean, he always constantly getting beat up or tortured or something. That's got to leave marks, right? You would think. Being stoned, being whipped or beaten with rods. I mean, it's, it's got to make you kind of maybe even disfigured. Who knows? So he, he, they didn't really look at him as one of the cool guys. I, I get the impression, and this is just Mike Sayers, not the Bible, that the Apollos was the cool cat. I mean, first of all, he's got that name, Apollos, like the Greek god, right? And then, and then second of all, you know, he, he was pretty good at oratory, we think. And, and, and so, <laughs> Paul is being judged by the Corinthians as, as though, you know, he's not really a true leader. So he's writing this, this letter to them to try and establish his authority as an apostle of Jesus. Someone who's seen Jesus has been given a task by Jesus. Now, in the same way that you might be a little bit afraid 
that Jesus is going to come back and judge you for whatever he's given you to lead. That also should actually be a point of comfort for you. All right? I, I, I really do believe the return of Jesus for a lot of us is going to be a point of comfort because we're going to be judged. Because true leaders don't always make their followers happy. If you are a parent, you know this in the first year. You're not going to be popular with your child every day. They're going to be upset with you because, you know, you're trying to go from mama's milk to pureed foods or something. And they're going to throw a fit. Or, or they want to kick their legs while you're trying to change their diapers. And you say, sorry, we're not going there, right? And so you hold those little legs fast even though they want to move them. And they're not happy with you. I'm used to people liking me. I really am. There are not many people who don't like me until I became a pastor. And now there are people who don't like me. And it's kind of hard to live with. I've made some decisions. There have been people who have, you know, abused the flock that I had to come down on and say, I'm sorry, but you, ca you can't do that anymore. You've got to stop doing that or else you can't come to church anymore. And they get really, really mad at me. There are a few people out there like that who don't like me right now. Um, currently, there is the issue of drunk people who want to come into the service. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the absence of... Ben Mercer, who's on sabbatical, and Jesse Heilman, who's on sabbatical, and Evan, who'd left for Austin, Texas. We've got kind of a short-changed male side of our staff, and the male side of our staff was doing what I would call, you know, Holy Spirit door duty, uh, which was to determine who was too drunk to come to church and who was not. Now, I don't care if you live in a million-dollar house. I don't care if you are the captain of the football team. If you come to this church drunk, we are not going to let you in. There's a whole mess of spiritual reasons for that that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, some of them being order in worship. It's really hard to have order in worship when there's people who are drunk out of their minds and want to argue with you while you're giving the sermon or want to make jeering comments about the girls who are on the worship team or who want to cuss out the people in the kitchen because they're not getting their food fast enough. And I am not making those scenarios up. Those have all happened in the past month. My concern as a shepherd of the flock is that they would not make it impossible or difficult for people who really want to hear from the Lord, who want to be part of his body. And so, I stand outside. And there are people I have not let in. I am glad that I will be judged by Jesus on the last day for those kind of decisions. I can live with that. I can live with people thinking that I am terrible and not Christ-like and mean because I will not let drunk people in the church. Really, seriously, I'll take that one up with Jesus. In that way, you see, if you're a leader and you've got to make an unpopular decision, in other words, if people are not going to be happy, people want you to make sure they're happy. And when you want to make sure they're good, you've got a conflict on your hands. And that is when the return of Jesus and the judgment of Jesus is good news for you. If you've got to somehow put little Susie or little Johnny in time out during vacation Bible school. If their parents get all upset with you because, you know, they were denied the popsicle because they were trying to shove it down some kid's throat or in somebody's eye. 
These kind of things happen in the church. Not just with little kids, but with older kids, with adults. You've got to be okay. True leaders in the church are accountable to God. They're accountable. They're trusted by God. They're accountable to God. Trusted by God, accountable to God. We live for an audience of one, folks. If you've been given any responsibility at all. Point number three. True leaders in the church are reliant upon God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What did you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? True leaders in Christ rely upon the Word of God and upon His grace. They rely upon the Word of God and upon His grace. In Jesus' kingdom, where the greatest among you is the least of all, and where the king dies for his people, no one is more important than anybody else. Indeed, true leaders take the lowest role, not the greatest. They should, be objects of a, they should not be objects of, of a celebrity cult. All right, now, um, Paul is not just talking about what he's teaching. He's saying, I want you to look at me. Look at my life. Look at me. Look at Apollos. Look how we're handling this situation. Apollos and Paul are, they're, they're buddies. They're close. They're not going to get into this whole cult of celebrity that the Corinthians wanted to throw up on them. Literally, they didn't want to be thrown up on. All right, so the Corinthians, the people are trying to say, well, you know, we want to do this thing. We want to place one of you as cooler than the others. And they're going, no, you don't understand. Everything we have comes from God. We are reliant upon God. You know, just because someone plays guitar or, or piano or can, got a good voice, right? I mean, you've been given, you're a leader in God's kingdom, are you not? We call them worship leaders. They're supposed to lead us in worship. In other words, they're supposed to worship God. We're supposed to watch them, see where they're going, and follow them to the Lord, to God's presence. That's the point of leading worship, is people follow you. So you are a leader in God's kingdom if you are part of the worship team. And if you're part of the worship team, the fact that you can play really well or sing really well is a gift. It's grace, is it not? Did you come up with it? Did you give yourself those vocal cords? Did you put yourself in a family where they could afford music lessons? Did you make sure that you hung out with the kids in school who were... You know, the musical ones who could teach you a couple licks on the guitar? I mean, no. These things are orchestrated by God. They're all gifts. If you ever heard Leonor tell her story about how she got into 5R and Frenzy, you will know it was a gift. It was a gift. She doesn't hold on to it like, I'm so cool. She's one of the least rock star rock stars I know. One of the coolest things about worship people at Scum, I never forget this, is, is, is the desire not to perform as if you were performing at a club or at a show. I've actually had worship leaders weep because they felt that internally, inside, in their inner motivations, in their heart, in the dark places where nobody can see but where God can see, they knew they had crossed the line and were somehow enjoying the fact that they were up front as opposed to 
the fact that they were leading people in the worship of the one true and holy God. That's the kind of worship leader I want. That's the kind who is humble and realizes that everything comes from God. To be a leader in God's kingdom, you've got to know it's not about you. You've got to know it's not about you. You're not that cool. You're not that cool. God could replace you with a hundred people. But it's a gift that he has you where you are. It's a gift that we have what we have. The fact that we have people coming to scum, I mean, who can we attribute that to anybody except to the Lord? The fact that we have a congregation for 12 years, that's a miracle. You know how many church plants survive the first couple years? Most of them die. The fact that we're in this building that we didn't really pay for, that was paid for us by white evangelical Christian suburban guilt, That's a gift from God right there. We are recipients. Everything we have is a gift. The place you have in your family, the birth order that's yours, the spouse that you have, the spouse that you don't have, that's a gift. Right? Because some of you are going, oh, man, I really dodged the bullet when I didn't marry that person. Second of all, in this passage, he says that they need to learn the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. That's a phrase they were using. It's a common phrase. But Paul's applying it to leadership in the church. And what he's saying is, look, you've got to know your scriptures. Because there's no way you can... Cease from going beyond what is written unless you know what is written. I cannot stress how important it is for everybody here to know the Word of God, to know your Bible. I mean, the reason we have the words of the Bible up there on the wall is just in case some of you didn't bring your own, you would actually see it, and that would actually embed it in your mind more than just me talking about it. There's a reason that's up there. We hold the Word of God in extremely high regard here. We want you to know it. Primarily so that you don't go beyond it. Now, there are religions out there that, in my opinion, have gone beyond what is written. You know them. They add to the scriptures writings that were not originally there. Stories that did not happen and were not canonized by the church, by the whole church, when it was just one church. Not just the Catholic Church. You cannot go beyond what is written. According to the Apostle Paul, if you want to be a good leader in his kingdom. Recently there's been some hubbub on the internet about this piece of Egyptian papyrus that was uncovered, that evidently has some writings about the wife of Jesus. Well, first of all, they dated this thing to like three or 400 A.D. Second of all, there's some question now about whether or not it's even authentic. But this is why the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas is not in the Scripture. Because Jesus did not get married. I don't care what the Da Vinci Code says. 
I saw the passion of the Christ. He wasn't married in that one. And I saw Jesus of Nazareth. He wasn't married in that one. So there. <laughs> King of Kings. He wasn't married in that one. That's like three or four to one just in the film industry. Okay. I'm jesting now. But don't go beyond what is written. And the only way you will not go beyond what is written if you know what is written. Know your Bibles. I've said this before. Tithe your iPod. Take 10% of the space in your iPod. You know, if you've got a 40 gig iPod, you know, take four gigs, you can put the Bible on there. Listen to the Bible. Why not? You have 10 CDs in your CD wall for your car. One of them could be part of the New Testament. It's important. Whether you do a daily devotion or whether, you know, you read big chunks, you know, on Sundays. It doesn't matter to me. I don't really care how you go about it, but learn it. Take advantage of the classes that we offer and small groups to study the Bible. My last point. True leaders in the church are sometimes persecuted by people. True leaders in the church are sometimes persecuted by people. Starting in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 4. This is where he gets really, really, really sarcastic. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. How I wish that you really had begun. Oh, you have begun to reign and that without us. I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. Now he's using an uh, analogy from his world. In ancient Rome, whenever a conquering Roman general would come back, from his conquest of the country or the people that they were waging war against, this is what it would look like, sort of. He would be in the front with a wreath around his head in a chariot being led by these magnificent horses, right? So the general's very first. Then after that come, you know, his officers and stuff, and then the captured kings of the land, the chieftains, the elders, who are bound and shackled and are being led in this unholy parade. And then at the very, very end, after the exotic animals and whatever else, the booty and the treasures they collected from that conquest, would come the riffraff at the very end. And those unfortunate souls were doomed to die in the Colosseum, either at the hand of gladiators or perhaps by being fed to wild animals, lions and tigers and such. So who does the Apostle Paul identify with? He identifies with the slaves, the riffraff, at the end of the procession. He goes, you guys in Corinth, you're so great now, right? You've got all these spiritual gifts. You've been taken by the Lord as sons and daughters, and, and, and now you're princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. You're acting like kings, like kings and queens. And, and we, apostles, I wish we could be kings and queens with you, but instead we're more like the riffraff at the end of a Roman triumphal procession. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe to angels as well as to human beings. He goes, listen, our ignominy does not end with the people who see us in Corinth. It extends into the heavenlies, and there's angels, and there's demons who are looking at us as we trudge along at the end, treated like the riffraff of the world. He says in verse 10, We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. 
You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. In other words, I am not fleecing the sheep. I'm not taking money from God's people like some unholy TV evangelist. I am providing for myself by the making of tents and by gifts from other people who are not the people that I'm currently ministering to. I am doing everything I can to bring the gospel as free of charge as I can. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Now, this is a job description. I'm wondering, if you put it in the paper, would anybody sign up to be an apostle? When you are cursed, you must bless. When you are persecuted, you must endure it. When you are slandered, you must answer kindly. Like right there, I'm out of the running. Because if somebody cuts me off in traffic and then gives me the finger, I want to give the finger right back. But according to the job description here, what I need to do at that point is say, oh, well, bless you. The Lord keep you. Let me pray for you right now while I'm in my car. Thank you very much. I'm going, like, who wants that job description? Right? I mean, when, <laughs> when you're... When your neighbors complain to you because you didn't cut your grass for an extra week, you are not allowed to not like them. If you're going to sign up to be a leader in God's kingdom, you have got to... Next time you cut your grass, you cut theirs too. If some kid at school steals your laptop, you're supposed to give them the case as well. If I read my Bible correctly. i never forget. Uh, I was talking to one homeless guy, um, and he was complaining because it was going to be cold that night, and he, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he wanted a blanket. And he wanted a blanket from our nursery. And I'm going, like, he actually went in and grabbed I'm going, what are you doing with the kid's blanket? You can't have the kid's blanket. Put it, give it to me. Okay, I'll tell you what, just stay right here. I went and I got my own coat. I had like a dress coat, you know, it kind of went down to my knees and kind of had a fur collar. It was, anyway, it was just, it was a while ago. Anyway, um... <laughs> And so I, I, I gave him this, I think it was a London fog coat or something. I gave it to him. It's one I wore if I, if I had to wear a sport coat. At least, you know, it kind of covered as far low as the sport coat went. So that the sport coat tails were not showing underneath my jacket, which looks really dorky. Um, anyway, so I gave him this coat. And he immediately puts it on, and he starts going, Oh, great. This is great. Look at this. Like... Like, it looks like I'm a wino now. I mean, just like people think I'm going to have, like, bottles of booze under here. And I'm going, you are a wino. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I, <laughs> I just said, look, it's going to keep you a lot warmer than that dinky little baby blanket you were trying to take. And it's my coat. Like, take it. Right? Okay, fine. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Why don't you just go now? Like, I mean, it's not what I wanted to say. It's not what I wanted to say. I wanted to teach him a lesson right there and then, and I didn't. Because true leaders in the church are sometimes persecuted by, by people, even the people you're trying to help. Sometimes the people in the world and sometimes by the people in the church. 
I mean, you could come here and you could, you know, clean the church and somebody will get on your case because, oh, well, you know, you didn't clean that toilet very well. How are you going to respond? You've been entrusted with this person's life in front of you for a moment. How are you going to respond? When you are slandered, you will answer kindly. That's what it means to be a leader in God's church. I would say that um, we have had a number of people from SCUM on staff whom I have seen literally cussed out by people at the church. And I am so proud that they have answered kindly and blessed in return. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what's happened on a couple different occasions. Those people have left the church angry and upset. And then on a couple occasions, their lives have fallen apart. And I have seen people on staff from Scum of the Earth go and help that person pick up the pieces of their life without a word of, I told you so. That's what it means to be a leader in God's kingdom. When your brother or sister, when your mom or dad, when your son or daughter, when your coworker blows it, you don't utter a word of condemnation. You offer to help them restore their lives. And that is leadership in the kingdom of God. True leaders in the church are sometimes persecuted by people. True leaders in the church are reliant upon God. True leaders in the church are accountable to God. And true leaders in the church are trusted by God. I haven't talked about what happens outside the United States where people actually get killed for their faith. I know a lot of you are praying for Pastor Youssef in Iran who was jailed for preaching the gospel. He was released recently. I just hope he stays alive. He could die an accidental death, if you know what I mean. Keep praying for Pastor Youssef. There's a guy named Brother Andrew who was in Romania under communism was spreading the gospel and uh, got stuck in a horrible prison for years and years and years. Wrote a book called uh, Tortured for Christ. There's other people around the globe for ages and ages who have been physically tortured and killed for their faith like the Apostle Paul. And you know, when we see leaders like this, we honestly stand back and we go, you know what, we respect those people. We respect them for the travails they've had to endure because of, of Christ, for being just spokespeople from the gospel. Maybe they're not even pastors or what, they're just regular people, right? We admire them for that. And why do we admire them for that? We admire them for that because it reminds us of Jesus. They're going, that's, that's what a true Christian leader looks like. Really, if you want to put it all into one package, a true Christian leader looks like Jesus. Someone who would carry your sorrow. Someone who is trusted with the very mysteries of God. The new salvation that God was offering. Jesus was given this entrustment by God that would bring all of us into relationship with the Father for eternity. And He did exactly what He was called to do. He fulfilled His trust. Jesus was accountable to God. He said, I don't do anything I don't see God doing. I, I answer to him, Father, not 
my will but yours be done, he said in the Garden of Gethsemane. He relied upon God. My God, he said on the cross, into your hands I commend my spirit. And of course, he died and was buried and then rose again because he was a righteous man. If you are a person who is not following Jesus, let me say, if there's one person who is worthy to follow in your life, not just now, but forever, it's Jesus Christ. Maybe you have problems with leaders in the church and you're here with a raised eyebrow and your arms folded across your chest wondering what kind of church this is. That's okay. I'm asking you to turn your life over to the leader who will lead you in the way everlasting. Let me just say that uh, if you were here, if you weren't here last week for story night, you missed an amazing evening of people telling their stories about how God has intersected their lives. We had three regular people from Scum of the Earth get up and talk about that. They were, for a moment, they were given responsibility. They were leaders in God's kingdom who were put before the rest of us and our, whose stories are now on our website. And I just want to commend you for being the kind of leaders that make me proud to be your pastor. I got a letter in the Info at Scum mailbox on Monday. And I won't read all of it. I'll just read part of it. This is what it said. I'm just writing to say thank you. I attended Scum last night for the first time. I live in another city, and after several years of listening to sermons by podcast, I happened to be in Denver and could finally attend a service in person. What drew me to scum years ago, and the reason I consider it to be my church, even though it's a thousand miles away, has been your focus on the left out. I left the service last night glad and relieved to know that those aren't just words on your website that scum truly is a place for people who don't feel like they fit in. I really wish there was a church like scum in my town. So, just wanted to say, thank you, scum, for being in the kind of church where God can send his little lambs to be taken care of and encouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the rant of the Apostle Paul. Help us to be leaders, as Jesus is a leader. It's in his name I pray. Amen.